Connecting Coaches Cognition. Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm here with... Violet Christensen. Violet, what's new in your world? What's new in my world? I am reflecting back and thinking about how we are in year five, and I now have a first and a third grader, which is absolutely ludicrous in my mind. Um, I'm still wrestling and trying to grapple with that realization this year. Um, But as I say, every August and September in our five years is we're in that hyperspeed start of the year, fun madness. And it has been fun as my children have gotten older to see their skill sets grow and what they're excited about. They went to um, an innovation summer camp and are so excited about robotics and coding. And my first grader was teaching me all sorts of things on Scratch the other day and animating her gymnastic character that she had built. So I just am constantly in awe and walking around schools and walking around classrooms of what students are capable of, what we can push them to, the level of innovation that we can get to when we step back and give a little time and space to that. And I know we'll speak to some of that in this episode, but I am just invigorated by the start of the year, but also at the same time, Courtney, trying to hold on that sliver of summer, which I'm sure you are as well, a little bit, a little bit. Um, a little sliver of summer, trying to still be mindful of the things that give me a pause and bring me joy, like walking my garden in the morning and seeing if I have a fresh cucumber that's ripened or a tomato, just trying to find the balance between school and home, which is always something that I think we have to remain mindful of at this time of year. Yeah, it's always so hard at the start of the year. It's like being shot out of a cannon, right? And then <laughs> as the year goes on, like you slow down a little and you're aware of your surroundings, but that initial launch is just always insane. The initial launch and the initial decline of like that's that slump you sometimes get into in the in the later fall, right? So mm-hmm. it's always that series of um, the cylindrical life you and I kind of talk about that we live in seasons. So tell me, how are you doing in the season? Just trying to get back into the swing of things, you know, find that schedule and that routine where I'm going to be on what days and try to, you know, hold on to those consistencies <laughs> in life. It's nice to know where you're going. It is. It is. And I think by Monday, I will have that nailed down and finally have a grasp on my schedule, you know. Absolutely. Is Pickles adjusting all right to you not being at home? I mean, is she, she doing is. okay? She went through a little obsessive. She has these little squeaky pigs that she loves and she became a little obsessed with them the first week that I was gone, but that has lessened. So I think she's kind of learned that by like four o'clock every day, mom does come back. The emotional support pig. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of creepy, but you know, they are cute at least. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're finding some balance then. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But I really enjoyed just leaning in with my educators and getting to know our new teachers and how to best support them. And we've got tons of curricular rollouts and things coming. So it's been an exciting start to the year. Today, we're so lucky to have the authors of Learning Agency, a field guide for taking flight. This is a boots on the ground resource for those who wish to foster a greater agency for students and adults alike within their classroom, school, or school system. This book was written by practitioners who have experienced the triumphs and struggles firsthand. The book offers a framework for moving from building knowledge to making meaning and applying the understanding of practices and systems that support agency. 
Well, hello, I'm Kara Vandis, and I am co-author with Dr. Jeanette Westfall and Ashley Duval of Learner Agency, a field guide for taking flight. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Can you define Learner Agency and explain why it's such a crucial concept in today's educational landscape? Absolutely. So the three of us kind of aspired together to write this book based on our experiences doing a lot of work in the district where Ashley and Jeanette um, were both employed in Liberty, Missouri. And our hope with agency was just that we really help students understand themselves as learners, build an identity as a learner, and learn what to do when they don't know what to do, learn what to do when they're given a bit of independence and they need to move it forward. You know, all of these things that adults have to do in the world today, we just feel super passionate that we've got to give kids time and practice and permission to fail and get up again and try it again and and learn what to do as a learner because we have no idea what they're going to face as adults. So that's kind of been our our big hope and our kind of the fuel that like really got us through this project. Jeanette, what would you add? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, we've been through such tough times um, coming out of COVID and everyone is looking for a recipe to accelerate learning. And we realized we were living it and thought it really would be wise to share those experiences with other people. And we recognized that we had some very specific um, levers that we were pulling on that were making this happen. And every time we shared it with other people, um, it worked for them too. And so we just thought we would share that story. And, you know, Kara, she travels everywhere to, to visit and she was seeing that kind of information just being, you know, food for thought for everyone else too. So um, I think it's that part of how how do you how do we reframe what learning should look like um, in a, when we have the opportunity to do it? Yeah, we were in survival mode so long with COVID education, and now that we're on the other side, and kind of you know we're a long time past all the disruption in learning. So, what does learning look like now? Is a really great way to frame things. I think too to add. It, COVID actually, I think, caused us to start thinking more about our learners. I mean, forever we were thinking so much about what they needed to learn and um, the content that they they needed to, to be productive citizens in our world. And I think COVID really pushed us to, to start thinking, like, we need to actually put more effort into thinking about the actual person in the seat. And, and the needs that they need to learn anything, not necessarily what to learn, but how to learn and the dispositions that they need for the, in this ever-changing world. I mean, times have changed. We don't even know what they're, they're going to end up doing in their little lives. So it really resonated that recipe to accelerate learning and thinking of what are the levers or what does the recipe look like now? It shouldn't look the same. We're not in the same world as we were pre-COVID and really thinking of that balance between Maslow's and Bloom's. And we really had to go to the base brass tacks and we got to rebuild and we have to be intentional in how we do that. And I love thinking about which levers are we pulling for which students in order to meet their needs. Can we dive in a little deeper, ladies? And we want to hear some tangible tips, hear those levers of how can educators effectively empower their students 
to take ownership of their learning, but what while also still maintaining structure and supportive classroom and and not having complete chaos, right? We wanna have that balance between the two. So can you tell us some specific and tangible tips around that? I have one, I just, I just talked with a few teachers about this um, not too long ago, about an hour ago, but um, I think the power lies in the, in the discourse, the dialogue and the discourse. Um, this was actually a teacher that is on a team and they're, they're going to start departmentalizing. And she was talking about in the past, you know, by the time you get to that third group, the, the lessons are so much shorter. And I, I said, have you ever wondered why, why they're taking less time? And, um, you know, she thought, well, I'm just getting through things quicker because I'm cutting things out that I didn't think were important. And I said, well, what typically happens is we cut out the dialogue and the discourse because we don't want kids in the, you know, what we call the deep, um, what we call the productive struggle. And I feel like that is like a huge part of agency is really understanding, like learning is hard. Learning is, is, I mean, it's challenging. And we, as teachers, we try to save them from that. So I say, push them there, let them sit there. Don't save them. Um, but I think that's the case for our teachers as well. So when we talk about learner agency, it's not just students, it's not just children, this is adults too. And we have to be okay with that. We can't save all our teachers and hand them something and say, this is the way it's to be done. How contradictory is that to what we know about learning? So that's mine, dialogue and discourse, that's the, the magic. I'll add to that. Um, I think along with that, also there's a need for clarity about what we want in learners and what we want for learners. What is a good learner? What does that look like when they're grappling? Um, is it okay if they get frustrated? Is it okay if they get out of their seat? Is it okay if they ask questions, you know? And then I think we need clarity about what success looks like, not just what we're learning and why, but like, what is, what, a, what how would I know if I actually got there? And I think one of the things that freaks people out about agency, when people say that word agency, um, I feel like there's two sides to that. There's the like side of like, well, I don't want it to be a free for all in my classroom, right? Like, hey, kids, welcome to school. You do you. Just have a great day. Like every teacher <laughs> starts having heart palpitations at that point. <laughs> the opposite of that is like, um, well, my kids won't do anything. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to learn. And, and that neither one is true at all. Um, but we can get in those really interesting places when we when we think about this work. And so I think one of the things is that when kids have clarity about what is expected of them, they are much more likely to take on a challenge. Their anxiety goes down. And so we work really hard with teachers to create tools that help kids understand what is expected of them as learners, what good learners do, as well as what good learning looks like in terms of the content. And so those are some very practical things that we might not feel like we have time for, but like Ashley referred to, if we take the time up front, the learning goes faster, actually, when we do need to jump into the deep and we have time to do it then. And I love the way you phrase that. Those are such good coaching questions. Like, what will this look and sound like within my classroom and like the teachers and educators sitting down and answering those questions before they even dive in with students? Courtney, I want to add, I think you're right. I think um, one of the things that when Kara came 
to Liberty, she helped us focus on two really important things that both Ashley and I just, they both have said it, but I think there's like a secret sauce. Like if we're going to say, what's the magic sauce to this recipe? Um, it is. And here's how, like in my role, you know, as you know, I was able, I was very fortunate to supervise not only coaching in my district, but also instructional design. And so um, there had to be a, it, just to use that language of accountability, there's a look for, right? There is a way to know that this is working. And what we realized was when we walked into a classroom and a student was able to articulate his her, or her own learning, and that was clear, not what they were doing, but what they were learning. And so if you just took that as your goal and then you backwards plan out of that, how do I create an environment where my learners can tell me where they are, where they're going, and what do they do when they're stuck? And that's, we took that off of Kara's work with Clarity. We added the dispositions work. So does a learner know their own personal strengths? Are they able to speak to, I'm good at this, I am not good at this, and that's okay. Like, I have to figure that out. Those types of things we started building into all of our learners, from coaches to principals, all the way through every classroom. And it seems like that may not be, it's not, it's not teaching you fluency. It's not teaching you uh, math facts, right? I'm not learning how to count from one to 20. And it feels very much like it's not as important because we can't test it, right? Like that's what we continue to default to. But those are the keys that make all that other, like just jump off the, t off the table. And that part, I think just, it, it's so it just builds. I mean, I'm not trying to lean into the to maybe what we should talk about next, but it's the efficacy piece, right? The heart of agency is building efficacy at every level, leadership, building leadership, teacher leadership. I mean, all the way to the student saying, you know what? I know how to do this. So those I mean, those kind of are like how to do it, why we do it and then how you can tell that. you. I appreciate your reference of the deep because I think at least as a mother and an educator, our instinctual reactions is to save kids from the deep end of the pool sometimes as you started this question with, and we have to flip our mindset. And once we have accountability and we have those structures you speak to and students can be clear about the objectives and things that they're doing, it's like they have their floaties on, like they're, they're ready to swim in the deep and we can give them the tools in order to be successful there. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. And it's a mindset shift. That's, tricky to say, um, mindset shift is from like, oh no, don't get stuck. Whatever you do, you need to have the right answer to the whole point is getting stuck and unstuck all the time. Exactly. That's the point. And so like, that's a shift for teachers, leaders, and kids and parents to your point. Like a lot mm -hmm. of parents are like, my, I want my kid to know every answer to every question. And it's like, that's actually doing them no favors. Yeah, giving them the gift of resiliency and be able to fi figure out and problem solve on their own, that's going to educate them for the rest of their life if they have yes. those skills. Can you share with us some practical examples from the book that demonstrate how schools or institutions have successfully embraced learner agency to improve student outcomes? Well, sure. I would love to do. I'd, I'd like to start that, although uh, I really, my, um, I think my probably top uh, examples. One drives back to what Ashley said was that diet, that discourse and that r really um, 
creating a culture um, around uh, learning, adult learning and student learning that really honors the learning process. Um, I can't speak to that enough. We found that the, the better that operated in any learning environment, the more successful the learning was. Um, and when I think, you know, it's kind of like the way uh, it's just, you know, to to Violet, to say what you're saying, like when you try to parent, when you're the more your child maybe loses their mind, the more you try to clamp down on them, the more they lose their mind. Right. And so um, as opposed to really trying to work with them on how and why and where. But so one thing I think is that is a big part, but also um, that understanding of share, telling your story, sharing your story. So our book is framed around stories from the field because one of the things that we wanted everyone else to understand is that the efficacy, it, like efficacy is the heart of this work. And um, when you tell your story, when you have your moment of, Kara calls it uh, a mastery moment, when you have those moments, they build and they have a, she also uses this term upward spiral. And so in education, we oftentimes just don't give that value to those mastery moments and upward spiral because we have a, a very rigid set of things we have to accomplish. And when people don't accomplish that, we feel like telling them they're not accomplishing it will then motivate them. And we are finding maybe that's not, I mean, I think we already knew that, but you know, when you're trying to accelerate learning, you got to really think about that. So I think the efficacy piece and really finding those ways to tell your story, to build capacity, it works not only for the people that hear you, but it really builds capacity in the storyteller. Like, how did this happen? And so then you start telling your story, which reinforces it for you. And we saw that with our use for open educational resources. We saw that in use of dispositions. We saw that everywhere as, as our we would then start going to listen to other people's stories, right? Like we started trying to find stories so that we could build on their success. And when you get into that upward spiral, I mean, so many things are possible, but I will, I will hand off to my mates. <laughs> well, I, to that point, I think that one of the precursors to that, that was alive and well in the system was teachers ability to ask to do something and be honored and supported in it. And so, and Ashley can give kind of maybe some specifics, some of the things she was involved in, but um, they let the teachers do a lot of piloting um, with the goal in mind of the district has a really clear understanding of what they want for students in terms of like a graduate profile. And so if it's in support of that, they support it. If it's not in support of that, it's not supported. So it's it seems so simple, but it it's really critical. And Jeanette was one of the best at, really asking people to qualify like, hey, okay, so you want to do this innovation in your classroom. Why? How does it support our graduate profile? What do you need? And then the coaches and leaders coming around them to say, like, how can we help you with this? Um, and I think that's a rarity in systems that they really put their time, money and resources toward that. Um, and one of the things that that's really practical that Jeanette mentioned is they they stopped buying curriculum resources that nobody was using, like textbooks, um, and started financing things like trips to schools that, that would help people get inspired or other things that teachers wanted to invest in that would help them 
innovate. And then, as she said, then we would just celebrate like crazy every little step of progress. Um, but I'll let Ashley give maybe a concrete example or two. I know she's got lots from being kind of in the weeds with teachers coaching alongside them. So Ashley, what would you share? Yeah. So before the, before I explain a couple concrete examples, um, I think it, it all goes back to that efficacy and believing in yourself in the classroom. And again, like I just had this conversation with somebody and they were saying like, well, I want to make sure that I'm using the best resource and math resource in the classroom. That's going to meet the needs of all my learners. And I said, well, here's the deal. You are the best resource in the classroom. You make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about learner agency, I have to have that agency as a teacher to believe that so that my kids can also think in the same way. And then once you have that, that clarity piece comes into play, like Kara was talking about earlier. Um, and we don't give clarity because you could easily like sit down with your team and, um, you know, come up with a learning intention and success criteria. And you could give that to kids and you, you think, oh, I just gave them clarity. But really the power comes in creating the clarity with your kids. So that whole co-construction um, of learning and that's that dialogue and discourse again of this is what it means to be successful with whatever the learning intention might be. So that's a little bit of the process, but then um, the tangible things that I've seen um, created in the classroom is really just that clear path of learning and, and what it looks like to be at the beginning of my learning journey. And this is what it would look like to be nearing the end of my learning journey and kids knowing what they need to access and how they can show their learning. And I've seen it to the point where kids are actually creating their own evidence. It's not the teacher saying like, here's the assessment and we're going to do it on Wednesday. It's you show me your evidence, you create your evidence to show me that you're ready to move on and, and get new learning or, or whatever. So I've seen that done clear in kindergarten to fifth grade on elementary. So, yeah. And it's so important that you go back to that efficacy. Every single one of you said that word. We, I think now we've all said it now that I said it. But starting with the teacher efficacy, we are so hard on ourselves. And we make 10.5 million decisions a day and get fatigued that I think sometimes, despite the fact our craftsmanship is very high, we have that lower efficacy. And until we can own that in ourselves and be those tinkers and makers and designers of learning, how can our students get to that point? I love that you show that succession all the way through that the coaches need that, the teachers need that in order for the students to get to that point, to be able to, to swim in the deep. Yeah. What an important point of that the teacher is the best resource. Like mm -hmm. Educators spend so much time searching for better things when if we just put our energy into ourselves and the knowledge and information that we have, the answers are all right there. But, you know, as a coach and for all the coaches that are listening, like you have to model that as a coach. Mm -hmm. You I mean, you have to you have to walk the walk. So if you if you're trying to help teachers believe that you're the best resource in the classroom, like I have to believe that I'm the best resource for someone working with me or the best coach. Not that I'm going to give you all the answers. I don't even have all the answers, but that I can help you and myself, we can, we can come up with the best. So. And I would add that we don't, we don't judge where, we should not judge where people are in their learning. Everyone 
teacher, principal, it doesn't matter. Everyone is where they are in their learning. And so if you didn't know it, that's okay. You're in the deep learning it now. It's what you do with what you've learned that really matters. And so it's really nice when we honor that throughout our whole system, just because you got named principal tomorrow out of the, you know, out of the classroom doesn't mean you, you have this depth of experience. It doesn't mean that. And even if you have the depth of experience, you didn't necessarily experience that with that person at that moment in that time. And a lot of times I think school systems try to buy their way out of um, that experience, right? We, what, if you think that you've been using uh, a resource and then you wonder, you know, when we switch over to try to build agency, why your teachers don't understand or know that, that's because we literally said follow a menu. So it's, Kara, what is it we say? It's a, uh, you're a cook, you know, a line cook or a chef. And we've had line cooks for a long time. And now we're asking them to be chefs and we're upset because they not practiced before. We got to give them time to practice. Teachers need to get deep too in the practice mm -hmm. of how to create those menus and really uh, work on that. And when, you know, when you hand them things, it's sometimes, not that that's not all workable too. Like there's, I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying that that's the part of honoring people where they are. I think a lot of it has to do with how you hand them things. Because I could hand you something and say, this is fill in the blank and you need to follow it. And this is our curriculum. But if you hand it and say, this is some inspiration. These are some ideas. We know that you make the biggest impact in the classroom. But we all need some tools in our back pocket. Here's some more tools. I think one of the things that we haven't brought up yet, but in doing this work over the years um, and, and talking so much as a group of authors, we really tried to nail down some of the enabling conditions that we feel like are important. And we keep kind of talking about them, but not really naming some of them. And so in, the book is centered around um, a group of enabling conditions. One of the ones we've been talking about is that we have relationships grounded in agency and what some of those characteristics are. And I think we, there's a lot of books on relationships, but we're focused on what is a relationship with agency like? What does that mean? And it doesn't mean like both Jeanette and Ashley were saying, like, we hand people things and say, do this. You're supposed to just deliver this lesson. We also don't just say, well, just figure it out, learn it, because you should know it. Yeah. It's like, okay, if we all have agency, we want to make these choices. How would we, how would we walk that forward? And I think one of the biggest learnings of this whole thing is just that learning is messy as all get out. And so mm -hmm. we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that is so hard for educators because we all want to do our jobs so well. Mm -hmm. And we have this incredible impetus, which is like the future of our, you know, the future generation. <laughs> no big deal, right? Like that's, that's the only thing on our shoulders. Um, but like that, that makes us feel like we can't make a mistake or change something. And we have to start having these relationships where we say we have permission to ask questions that are hard. We have permission to try a different way. We have permission to give us our, ourselves time to learn something before we feel like we have to do it. You know, like there's some things we need to shift in our way of being as educators and our relationships with other educators, kids, parents that will help us shift toward a system of agency. So what advice would you give to coaches who are supporting teachers who want to incorporate learner agency into their classroom? 
where's a good place to maybe start? I mean, I would suggest being a coach, I would suggest looking at your own approaches. So like looking at your coaching model that you use, there's teacher centered models and there's learner centered models of coaching. So as a coach in Liberty, I, we we're not there to fix teachers. We're there to promote student growth, just like everybody in our school district is doing. Um, so we approach it through the student evidence piece. Um, so that's one, one way to approach it. Um, another, and I think I kind of already said this is, you know, children and adults, the agency lies in both. Learner's a learner, it doesn't matter the age. Um, and I think Jeanette said it, you know, we're all in different places with, with what we're learning and, and trying to implement it. So that's, that's another way, but you can't have one way for teachers. You can't live in a compliance model um, or else it just becomes, I check it off that I did it and there's no intentionality behind it. And honestly, there won't be any deep levels of learning or any transfer learning. We all just checked a box and now we're moving on to the next box. I think I would say I've made one huge shift in my own coaching. I mean, I've been a coach in us in schools before. And then in my job, as Jeanette mentioned, I travel to different districts. And so it's can be kind of weird to be put in that position of coaching when I'm an outside individual, not in the system. But one of the huge learnings that I've had over the last several years has to do with mastery moments. And one of the shifts I've made is before I ever ask somebody to talk about a topic or um, think about a new way of handling something. I start with mastery moments and I ask them to tell me something they're proud of that they've been working on that's worked with for their kids. And it's, it's kind of like the simplest of things. And yet it's transformed conversations over and over. And I've also really tried to be the person that any teacher, anytime can share a mastery moment with me. You can text me, you can email me. Um, and what a fun week I get to have when I have people, you know, sending me, hey, Kara, guess what happened? You know, I'm like, this is amazing. Like I'm, you, they all make my week all the time. And I, and, and there's lots of educators that won't tell anyone else. Um, but I think that shift of, we are doing so much right. And Violet, you mentioned how hard we are on ourselves. We are doing so much right. And we are fixating on the small percentage of things that we weren't that happy with, or that the progress that hasn't yet been made. But if we shift our focus, everything shifts. And that is powerful. And now when I go into buildings, I will sometimes have teachers search me out to tell me or come say, come, come, come see this in my classroom. I have to show you what happened. And then I'm like, this is amazing. How else can we share this? And we just start sharing those mastery moments. And pretty soon everybody wants a piece of that. And it just becomes like, the upward spiral it just becomes that thing that's happening and you're like oh my gosh did you hear what happened in kevin's room did you hear what happened in you know whoever else's room in ashley's room like wow i can't wait to see what comes of that or i can't wait to see their next step and it's a huge it's a small shift but it's a huge shift at the same time it makes me think that we as coaches always go back to that positive presupposition in whoever we're coaching at whatever level but not always giving that same grace to ourselves as educators. So making sure that we're giving ourselves that positive presupposition that we are doing the best we possibly can with the resources we can. And some days that might look better than others as a coach or as an educator or as an administrator, but just 
focusing on the mastery moments. And I love how you say that. When I get a text in the middle of a day from one of my coaches, it's like, look at this writing sample or whatever the win of the day is, it lights yeah. me up. I know it lights them up. And I love the term of mastery moment to, to label that with moving forward. As you said that, that's a helpful reminder to me too. That's an easy one to just kind of go right through, right? Just keep on, keep it on. But we do need to stop and celebrate. If nothing else, celebrate the wins. Like when we have them, we really need to lean in and celebrate them. I do want to say one of the things that we also learned in those wins through COVID, you know, COVID brought us some really smart things too. And that was we recognized, and it's something that I'm going to, I'm going to be the old person in this conversation today. That's, you know, been um, walking through the changes from our, from our federal government around national standards. And to say that, you know, that started when I first started in teaching. So I know everyone that has come after me, that's all they've had. And one of the things that we're now three decades in is realizing that we focus so much on these very um, microscopic um, processes of learning that have in the data collection have changed nothing in respect to the learner. And part of what agency really starts to focus on is moving to that larger picture of what is to be learned and letting the adult start to grapple with, I don't have to teach 167 standards in order to get this outcome. There's a little bit of, and I was like this, all teachers are like this. There's a little bit of that like permission that has to be granted, right? To say, if I change from teaching every small, tiny thing, that the learner will not learn. And what we've recognized is, and, the, and this is happening across the nation, but we are not talking about it, which is we've now turned all those things into essential standards. So we've drilled it down to these essential things that should be learned. And what we're espousing to is, and what is that? What are you learning? And then what does that look like, right? So you can do that as a coach tomorrow, right? It's like, it's I'm teaching you know, R1, A, B, and C, but what are you really learning? And when we do that and then ask the teacher, so when you see it, do you know what that looks like? And then the next step, remember I told you the secret sauce, does the learner know what that looks like? And so if you can get there first, that's the clarity piece, right? That's what Kara, that's what Kara brought us from the beginning then once you get there as an adult, then you're able to take that step. That's the agency for you. And now we're building that into the learner because it's clear what needs to be learned. It doesn't have to be 167 things. Turns out that didn't change anything. So a little bit of permission to say, you're still teaching the standards. You still are. It is all grounded in that. But the fact, because really what we want is second graders to learn about the same thing. But what we don't think about is that not all second graders are at second grade. But that part we dismiss so quickly. Well, we're saying don't dismiss. We're saying figure out where they are and figure out where they are in that learning. So that's the part that I think coaches need to be there with their teachers, right? How do you know where they are in the learning? That's That just takes, let me help you figure that out with, and just pick one small thing. It's, it, you know, it just takes one small win. That's your mastery moment with something that's, that matters, right? It's, it's, a, it's got a purpose. It's a, it's a deal. And I mean, we have a lot of other things that go with that, but that's a good place to start, right? It really gives you so much drive to why you exist as a coach, because you're really, really changing outcomes, not inputs. 
and a lot of inputs, but it's that it's what comes out at this other side that really makes the difference. And that's when you say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, yeah. And I would add to that from what Jeanette's saying, and she's been so good at allowing people to have those conversations and pushing them to have those conversations. But like as a coach thinking about like, okay, we've got all these reading standards, so many, but what's, but what are we teaching kids to do? Like we're teaching kids what good readers do. So it's not like 55 standards. It's like, how do we help kids become good readers by using these things over and over again and getting better and better at them and just shifting our focus from, like you said, Jeanette, like RL 2.1, A, B, C, D, E. Like kids do not care. We don't care even. We don't care. Like that's painful to even think about. But like, what if we stopped thinking about that and started thinking about what a good reader, what a good readers do? They ask questions when they read. They answer those questions. They they seek to find the main idea. They, you know, like it, it, we can broaden our focus too. And I think we've done a lot of that in the work and that's given teachers time to unpack it and for kids to get to know it instead of checking off standards. And so that's been a big shift. Well, I know our listeners will be so appreciative of all three of you and being able to hear that slight smidgen of scooching towards permission to give themselves grace in trying this and rumbling with their vulnerability and getting messy in agency. And I just hope that peep someone walks through their classroom door, their coaching door tomorrow and is like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to get a little bit more messy. I'm going to, I'm going to ask that question I wouldn't have asked. And I'm going to walk side by side with my educators and help push them one more step towards that goal that we're working towards. Um, we are so grateful to have you here and we're going to shift just slightly into our rapid fire questions. So feel free to jump in as works for you ladies, but first tell us where we can learn from and with you or follow you and what else that you have um, that's in the mix that you're working on. Well, you can follow us um, through the core collaborative um, and through Mimi and Todd press, which is the publisher of the book. Um, and we're on all the platforms that most people would use. Um, so that's one way. And then what we're working on is we work with uh, Ashley is still within the district. So she's still working in co within everyday coaching conversations, which is amazing because she's a true, true practitioner. Um, Jeanette and I are consulting with other districts at this point and helping them get going and working on this process and learning from them, uh, which has been super fun. So I'll say that. Any What else would you add, Ashley and Jeanette? No, that's pretty good. I mean, I feel like we're all um, just really trying to um, share the message and encourage, right? People that um, agency is just about, it starts like, it makes me think about the two of you, like the things that you may have heard today that you go, oh yeah, I want to do that tomorrow. I, I think about that. If we can do that with people, it just brings us so much. I mean, that just makes us happy. And I can tell you that from so many conversations that I've had with both Kara and Ashley that you know, it's like, you know, it reminds me, I was a, I was a high school English teacher and it reminds me of the difference between the kid telling you in their book report, what the back of the book said. And when they really read the book and they just can't stop telling you about the best character or this happened and they're so excited. That's what it feels like when this work is happening with like, you get in this conversation with the teacher or a coach and that it's just so inspiring. It actually said this to me today. It's like, our job is to affirm and then push and then inspire. And she told me that I was like, that's it. That's money right there. She heard that from a speaker like last week. And I was like, 
that's what we all want to do, right? Like affirm, but push and then inspire people to really make a difference in the lives of, of learners. So I thought that was pretty spectacular. <laughs> Not my words, Katie Martin. I know, But still so good, right? Still like an artist. Yeah. <laughs> we all love Katie Martin. And you may have jumped questions here, Jeanette. You're very good at that. Tell us what is your tagline or your bumper sticker for coaching or one that somebody else would like to share? Because I thought that was an excellent one from Katie. Mine's simple. Be the learner you want all to be. Mine is mastery moments happen. Celebrate. Love it. I have lived on uh, this for ever since I started. I can't even remember, but it's Ancora Imparo, which is uh, Latin for still I am learning. And so if people can live that and walk that and love it, like just really authentically love being a learner, I think that has that disposition goes a long way. Well, you can feel the passion for your your niche here coming from all three of you. And we're going to steal one more little iota from you, if you will allow us, of telling us what's one secret coaching superpower or a go-to move that we could put in our back pocket, as we were talking about earlier, of having that extra tool in our back pocket moving forward. I would say, um, and I would take this from, it's a coaching move, but it's also a leadership move. Um for anyone that might be listening that's in that capacity is to listen authentically and give authentic feedback. It is really about, um, I feel like a lot of times we listen with, um, with an agenda or with, you know, the next meeting in mind. And I feel like one of the things that I loved the most was talking with, I got to talk with coaches all the time and they laughingly say, like, they say things to me, they probably shouldn't say, I'm so grateful because that's how you really know what's really happening. And so if you're a coach, you know, how do you really know what's really happening is how you change and grow. And so I feel like there's so many people that, I mean, we just don't take time to do that very often. So I would say that. So this makes me happy and sad all at the same time, but mine is listen as well. Um, but my coaching friends would say my superpower is asking questions, but they don't realize that's my strategy to get to listen. So if I can ask really good questions, then I do get to listen. Um, cause yeah, you don't, I mean, you can go in with an agenda of your own, but if you truly go in to listen and you authentically listen, then you're guided by their needs and their strengths. So I don't mean to do a three Pete, but I swear to God, I wrote this down. <laughs> and um, I said, listening to hear. And the reason I said that is because a lot of people talk about good listening. But I think if we listen to hear some key things, it can help us. And I think one of the things I've talking about with another colleague and I is we're like talking through this is like, are we listening to hear someone else's intent? Because they might not have even gotten to it yet, but they they're trying to explain it. And they're just like kind of puking it all out on you. And you're like, OK, so am I hearing that this is your intent? And then listen to hear their feelings, because if they're getting emotional, that means they really care about something. And I should really make sure that I'm being intentional about hearing that. And then the last two are listening to hear people's passion, because passions, even if there's something random like rock climbing, it might give me an insight. It's it, That creates like the highlight reel of their life, but it get, might give me an insight into like, this is a person who loves a challenge. So I'm going to make sure that as a coach, I put the challenge out and I'm not shy about it. 
Um, and I'm like, Hey, sounds like you want to do this. I think you should go for it, you know? So, and then finally, like to hear people's purpose, like what's their big purpose that would make them want to try to change something that's happening with their students. And so if I can get a sense of their purpose, then I can get a much better sense. Like if they're like, I want kids with agency, then I can say, okay, well, if that's what we want, then what do we want to do about it? So I also three-peated on the listen. <laughs> we'll take a three-peat on listen, listen, listen any day going back to bringing us to our coaching core. I feel like we have three new best friends we could sit and visit with all afternoon in our agency role. And we appreciate you as coaches and as colleagues. And we hope that we get to continue to learn from and with you in the future. Likewise. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We learned a lot about learner agency today and how to accelerate learning. How might you help someone build their identity as a learner? Thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on X or Twitter at C3Coaches or on Instagram. C3, connecting, coaches, cognition. Whose thinking will you mediate today?